0: You know, we live. We here. We are at summer, June the fourth. Summer's started, and and I feel a little bit like I'm living on the ragged edge. Uh, I, I heard an illustration of this yesterday. That uh, many of y'all met Ken Reedy. Ken Reedy is uh, a, a contractor who is a really neat Christian man. Some of y'all got to meet. He's the one who. Who took care of our hallway out here and and uh, did a great job for the church and kind of kind of did it in a way to help us out and he's uh, we're, we're working with him to look at maybe some of the the, the other small things that we need to do uh, in the future he's retired uh, but he's doing some stuff small projects and uh, he also hunts with me that's where I got to meet Ken so we were sitting out there around lunch yesterday and uh, talking to Ken and one of the guys asked Ken Ken we heard that uh, that you used to drag race tell us about it well he Drag race speed boats. And he said, well, Ken, how fast will one of those boats go? And he said, well, now some of the boats are pushing in a quarter mile, okay, quarter mile drag race. Some of those boats are pushing 275 miles an hour. Uh, You've got to be kidding me. That's craziness. And Ken said, well, I didn't didn't go that fast. He said, my boat would run about 180. Can you imagine in a boat on the water, taking off from zero and get up to 180 miles an hour? In a quarter mile. Now, Ken did point out, he said, now, you know, that really wasn't that fast. He said, some guys will push that ragged edge. And he said, they're right there on that edge. And if, if they keep pushing that edge, he said, eventually they're going to get hurt. And then he told us some stories of guys that did get hurt. And we asked Ken, well, did you ever know he never had a wreck? He, he, he always kept it just low enough that he felt like he was safe. But I can't even imagine running at that speed, you've got to have a tremendous amount of faith in your boat, in your skills. You've got to have a faith in, in, in just about everything, the wind. I'd, I'd say you have to have a lot of faith in the Lord to take a boat 200 miles an hour down the water. Have you ever felt like your life was running about 175, 200 miles an hour on the ragged edge? You know, I, I hear some of the stories of some of the folks in the church where we you know, whether it has to do with our finances, we feel like they're right on the edge, or our health, or we're, we're so stressed, or we're so strung out with our job. In our Sunday school class this morning, some were sharing testimonies of everything they got going on at work and going on in their jobs and you know, because of illness or because of, of you know, whatever. We, we just feel like we're, we're right there on the edge. And, and sometimes it's when we're riding that edge that we, first of all, we use that as an excuse to fall into sin. As I, as I looked at today's passage, one of the things that I recognized was there, what God demands most of us, what he desires most of us, that's probably a better way to put it, has nothing to do with the amount of difficulty, pain, struggle, strife, or whatever you're facing. Because what we're going to look at today is what he's called us to put on. Now I want you to read with me Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. And by a quick way of introduction, I'll remind you, Colossians 3, 1, Paul says, since you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is. So he gave us an introduction, and he said, because Christ has changed you. So he's talking to Christians here, right? Because Christ has done a work in your life because you've been saved, you trusted him, and you were born again. Seek him. He's got to be first. And then you have two big therefore paragraphs, starting in verse 5, you have last week's sermon, therefore put to death what belongs to this world, put to death the things of the flesh. And so last week's message was a call to surrender, recognizing that we can't live up to uh, the, the standards of Christ. We, pointed, we put it this way. Later on, Paul in that passage says, Christ, who is your life? There's only one who has lived the perfect Christian life. That is Christ himself. And Christ will live his life out through you, but it requires that you put to death the flesh that you're willing to say, Lord, I don't have to have it my way anymore. I don't have to have my dreams. Whether I feel like it or not, I want to be obedient to you. You put to death your desires your lust, your passions, and you surrender them to Christ. And that's probably one of the best words to look at there. To put to death your life. To be crucified with Christ is to to surrender your life over to him and and trust him with where we go from here. So then the next step, you pick up the next big therefore, verse 12. So you had therefore put to death. Then verse 12, he's going to turn the corner and say, now that you put this stuff to death, what do you put on? Where's the life in this? And he says, Therefore, as God chooses, uh, 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 excuse me, as God's chosen ones. So, once again, he's reminding us, he's talking to believers, those who are born again believers who are seeking to follow Christ, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on, and there's the command put on, that's the mandate, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so that you are also to forgive. You also are to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I was real tempted as I begin this passage, uh, studying this passage early in the week, uh, to delve into the Greek. Uh, there are five imperatives uh, in this text. Imperatives are commands that he gives us but three of them are given in a very weird way. Normally an imperative, when, when, when an imperative in Greek comes at you, it's like the first one there where he says, put on. It's a command. He's telling you to do something. The problem with imperatives in this text is three of them are third-person imperatives where he's saying, let us. And so it's a little bit different. It's a, a kind of command. And so I've stepped back from that as I as I sought the Lord and, and how to divide out this text and best understand it. And there's there's two big points that I want to make or two big sections And then we'll look at how we live out our Christian life within those two sections. The first section is verses 12 down through verse 14, which is a personal mandate, okay? So this is going to be his personal command to each and every one of us. Beginning in verse 15 is more of a corporate mandate. This is how we are to live life together as the body of Christ. Remember, he writes to God's chosen ones. He's writing to the group, holy and dearly loved. So you have a personal mandate, how what we're supposed to do individually and how our life ought ought to look individually. And then when we get down to verse 15, and one of the keys to this is when he says, let the peace of Christ to which you were also called in one body. He's reminding us there that we are the body of Christ, and so these relational commands or instructions that he gives us in the second half are going to be based on getting getting along together as brothers and sisters in Christ. So jump in on that first one. The personal mandate uh, as God's chosen is to put on, and I'm going to give you six here. There's five in the first verse, but there's... Another one down in verse 14 that is connected to the same command, It's connected to the same verb. So here you have uh, the command is to put on, to wear, okay? It's, it's wearing the clothing of Christ, putting on his cloak, so to speak. That's what that word means. You've put off these other things last week that we talked about. Now you're putting on the, the clothing of Christ. This is what you should look like. This is what your life should display. Last week when we talked about displaying the glory of God as Christ dwells in you, okay, what's that going to look like? I want you to notice the, the, the particular kind of characteristics that he displays here. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and above all, love. Each one of those matches up in some way of things that have been referred to as fruit of the Spirit, something that only could be produced by the Spirit through the believer. So it's only as we surrender fully over to Christ and, and lay our life down on his altar and say, Lord, I can't live this life. I need you to live this life out through me, that these things will be put on display because you and I, just in our own flesh and our own ability generally don't do a very good job of showing patience, do we? Or God's kind of love. We're good at loving people who love us. We're pretty good at loving people who are nice to us, who we can get along with or who have similar personalities as us, but we have a really hard time displaying love to those who we we don't connect well with who we butt heads with. And so we are commanded here to put on these personal attributes. Our life, if, we're, if we have died to self and we are alive to Christ, where Christ is dwelling and living his life through us, our life is going to display compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and love. I'll repeat it again because I want you to hear the tone of those characteristics. Those, those characteristics don't say perfection, strength, power. It's not talking about riches or it's not talking about a uh, your giving, okay? It's not talking about... Uh, your intelligence or your giftedness or your talents. Because here's the bottom line. Sometimes when we're going through rough times in life, maybe because of, of, of a health issue, let's just put it this way. You, you've, you've contracted a disease. We, I think of a lady who, uh, in May, Texas, who I love dearly, who passed away, died of cancer, who had taught our children Sunday school for years and She came to me one year and said, uh, the the Lord's told me that I'm supposed to step down from teaching next go round, so next September. And I said, okay, Mary. I said, man, we hate to lose you, You you're so awesome. Kids love you, And, and would you really reconsider and would you pray about it? She said, no, the Lord told me. So she quit teaching, stepped down a few months later, found out she had cancer, and not long after that her health began to wither and die. But there's something that Mary never lost. She lost her ability to teach. She lost her ability to have that impact on those children. She lost her ability to come to church. She was confined to a hospital bed for for months toward the end of her life, but what she never lost was her ability to display compassion and kindness and love and humility and gentleness. You see, those are characteristics that Christ can display through you regardless of your talent level, regardless of your strength, regardless of how much breath you have left in your body. Until you take your last breath, you can still display those values. So when we're told to put on the character of Christ, we're told to, to wear, so to speak, his skin. We're we're not told that, that we're, we're not being called to do miracles. We're not being called to, to, to preach hour long sermons. It's not gonna be an hour today. It's just a warning but we're not being called to do something that we can do in our own strength. We're being called to be people of kindness and compassion and love and gentleness because the, what displays to a lost and dying world Jesus above all else are those kind of characteristics. You can be a great teacher. You can be a great preacher. You can be a great worship leader. You can be a great singer. All of those are dependent upon your strength, your ability, your talents. Anybody, any single person, any one of us can be kind and compassionate and loving. And it doesn't matter whether you're strong or weak, young or old, stressed or not stressed, going through a rough time in life, your business is upside down, or your, your finances are, are, are struggling. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. You can still display these personal attributes of Christ, I think that that's the, the, a, a, an incredible, beautiful picture for us to understand that that's what we're commanded to put on here. We, we tend to idolize or lift up those who are most talented. The ones we ought to be lifting up, the ones who we ought to be pointing to, are those who are most humble, those who are kindest, those who show the most compassion. Because that's the measure of the real fruit of The believer. If you want to know them by their fruit, look at these characteristics. What's the manner that we do this? There's a manner of how we walk through this. Paul gave us two uh, phrases here, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. I got a kick out of this because this is where we live in any group now, with the church, certainly. With a pastor, uh, I, I've seen specific examples, and I'm not going to call names, because I could name names this week, all right? Uh, I'm not going to name names. But here's, here's what we do. There's two things that get us cross-faced with each other. One of them is when we sin against each other. If you've sinned against me, I need to be willing to forgive you. If, you, if I've sinned against you, You need to be willing to forgive me. And what measure of forgiveness? Uh, how, how, How much forgiveness ought we give? Scripture says here that we ought to forgive as Christ forgave us. In fact, Paul's not nearly as harsh here as Jesus was in the Sermon on the Mount. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that if you're unwilling to forgive your brother who sinned against you, your father in heaven will be unwilling to forgive you. But Paul commands us that you need to be willing to forgive Not by the measure that somebody else has forgiven you or they've done you right. You need to be willing to forgive by the measure that Christ forgave you. So the first way that we get crossways with each other, that conflict happens uh, in our lives, is when one of us sins against the other. Now, that happens in groups. It doesn't even have to be a big group. That can happen in a marriage, right? You've sinned against the other one. You have to forgive each other to be able to move forward and continue in that relationship. So when there's sin against each other, that one's pretty clear. Here's the one I laugh about because this is the one that we run up against probably more often than not because God, in his uh, providential plan, in his sovereignty, it seems that he loves bringing together people who just have different personalities and people within the body of Christ that if we were to – we could not – there's some of us that just because of our personalities we just couldn't go to a, a cafe and have a coke together we just couldn't get along we, we we have different personalities some of us are uh, we see things from from a different view it's like we see things through different glasses and so uh, your personality may grate on me and my personality may grate on you and then there's some people they just get along with everybody and they don't understand why other people don't get along but there's some of us where our personalities are just unique and different. It's the way God built us, the way that God equipped us. And God has purpose in that. Because it's as a church body comes together that we have personalities that are all across the spectrum that they can show the love of Christ to in all various kinds of ways. You can have people that, that you know, are, are, are proclaimed the Word of God and said, this is what the Lord says, and there, there's, no, or, or, there's no, you know, gray area at all. Then you'll have other people that, that, you know, you're going through a rough time in life and they're going to come sit down next to you and just say, oh, I know you've had a rough time, but let me help you through it. I just want to be there for you. And we know some of those people. Uh, uh, my wife is that way with most people, not necessarily me, but with most people. <laughs> it, 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 so we have people on both ends of that spectrum. And, and so we will, uh, People with a gift of mercy don't always understand people with a gift of prophecy, if I put it in those terms for you, and vice versa. But you know what we're commanded to do here? Bear with one another. Bear with one another. You have a different personality than me. I have a different personality than you, but God's brought us together in the same church, maybe on the same team, maybe in the same committee, and we're called to bear with one another, to put up with one another. In the name of the Lord. It doesn't mean that our personalities are ever going to mesh necessarily, but it does mean that we're called to work together for the glory of God. And for a successful team of any kind, whether it's a sports team or whether it's a team at work, for a successful team or a church to accomplish its purpose, we have to be able and willing to bear with one another even when we haven't sinned against each other. And sometimes it it may not be an issue of sin at all. It's just personality conflict. And one of the things that helps me is when we see that. Now, I'm going to give you a piece of very practical advice here. If there's somebody in your church family that you're having a hard time gelling with, this this may seem counterintuitive. Spend some time with them. In particular, pray with them. Pray with them. I don't mean just pray for them. That's, That's a good thing, too. Pray for them. Pray that the Lord would move in their life. Pray that the Lord would help you understand them, but pray with them. I find it harder and harder and harder to stay in conflict with anybody that I get down on my knees with and pray with. When you hear their heart cry out to the Lord and they hear your heart cry out to the Lord, there's a a commonality. There's something that happens there. I think that that's what the church body is supposed to be. We're supposed to be connected like that where we're praying with each other. So forgive each other and bear with each other the way that Christ forgave us. And then third, that's the motive. Why do we do it? Because Jesus forgave us. Ultimately, I am unworthy of Christ's love and Christ's forgiveness. But if he forgave me and he puts up with me, I ought to be able to forgive and to put up with my brothers and sisters in Christ. So a personal mandate, our characteristics, the character that we ought to put on are are compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and love above all else, and be willing to set aside our preferences, our personality, and work with and forgive those uh, each other so that we can have those right personal relationships. And then in verse 15, He says, and let the bond, or let the peace of Christ, I'm sorry, to which you were also called in one body, rule in your hearts, and be thankful. Some of the commentators I read here uh, uh, argue that this command, be thankful, is almost an umbrella that covers this paragraph. It's set aside. It's, 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 It's emphasized in a very unusual way. Now, I think that you really have four exhortations here, but I think in some way, you can see every one of those exhortations falling under that umbrella. And so, instead of placing it second, like I have in my notes, let me just place it first. Let the peace of Christ, which you were also called to one body, rule in your hearts and be thankful. I think that when we're able to step back with gratitude and understand all that God has done in our lives, and we don't take for granted His gifts of mercy and love and compassion. It sets the stage for us to be able to obey these other three exhortations that we see here. I think one of the things that, that we struggle with, and, and, and maybe I say we because it's me, okay, and, and I understand that. One of the things that I struggle with is I get up each day or I go to bed the night before thinking about what's coming the next day. And I tend to be looking toward the challenges, the difficulties, the the jobs, the things that I have to get done. Maybe as a leader in the church, I'm I'm, I'm thinking about struggles within the body, or, or somebody's on my mind, somebody's on my heart, somebody that has an illness, somebody that's got a treatment, a cancer treatment coming up that day. Or man, there's there's all kinds of things going on in our head, and I'm thinking about what all the Lord has before me and all the stuff that I'm going to have to do. And then all the things that I don't know that are going to happen that day, the phone calls I'm going to get or whatever. And so I I arise focused on the problems, the concerns, the, the things that need a solution, the things that need to be done, instead of arising and saying, thank you. Look at what all the Lord has done. Look at all the blessings the Lord has poured out upon us. Look at all the blessings the Lord has has given me to to, to be able to to have a a roof over my head, food in the refrigerator, a vehicle to drive, an incredible wife, a a church that that loves the Lord and worships the Lord. If we stop, and and it's like the old song, and we start counting our many blessings, naming them one by one, we couldn't count them all, could we? If we'll start by being thankful for all that the Lord has done, especially all that the Lord has done through our friends and family and our church body and what he's done through his cross and through his resurrection, we could spend all day, every day for the next month or year just giving thanks. And it changes our perspective and it changes our attitude. And so I don't think that there's, there, there's an accident that Paul plopped this command right there when it almost seems out of place. Be thankful be thankful. Let that rain over everything. I, I, we, we're getting the roof fixed. You, you've seen it. The big dumpsters out front. We were hoping that they were going to be done with that uh, this week. The weather has, has, you know, with pop-up thunderstorms and all the craziness going around, they've had to be careful on what they did win and all of that. And so, you know, we look at all of the, 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 the difficulty with it. We've, the storm was two and a half years ago. We had all the, the struggle with insurance we had court we had all that stuff going on but when we pause and i I said this at the family meeting if we just take a deep breath and step back and look there were several years ago when we knew that we were going to have to do something drastic to take care of this the flat roof in here and we didn't have the money to do it now the lord has blessed us with an incredible new roof for free basically for insurance costs. And we can gripe and complain about the air conditioners not working upstairs today because they didn't quite get everything finished and buttoned down like they wanted. We can be upset about, you know, the dumpsters out here. We can gripe about the two and a half, because that's what we tend to do, isn't it? We tend to focus on the negative when all we have to do is step back and say, wow, Lord, look at how you've taken care of us. Thank you. What an incredible blessing the Lord has poured out on us. And, and, and that thanksgiving comes with, with a command that follows it. Uh, when he says, be thankful, and you get down a little bit further, and, and he says, admonishing one another through ha- psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So he connects our worship back to our thankful hearts with thankful hearts we come singing with gratitude in our hearts we come worshiping because of what he has done now let me get to the other three exhortations here one of them i keep skipping over there in verse 15 let the peace of christ to which you were also called in one body rule your hearts make peace a priority He's, he's speaking to the body here, right? He's not speaking to individuals necessarily. He's speaking to the church. So he's he's talking about us within our role within the church body. Let peace be a priority. Let peace reign. I think about the Apostle Paul when he's writing... Uh, his kind of treatise at the, toward the end of first Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14, he's, he's writing, trying to answer some questions about spiritual gifts in particular, the use of the power gifts that were being misused there at Corinth and the use of tongues and, and the interpretation of tongues that were being misused there in Corinth. And there's one overarching theme of Paul's teaching on spiritual gifts. Okay. And it was unity. The overarching theme was unity. So he starts out in chapter 12 when he starts dealing with gifts saying hey these are manifestations of the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit gives them to whoever he wants to give them to and he gives them to you for the purpose of unity in the body of Christ that you come together, you work together some of you will have this kind of gift, some have this kind of gift some God will use this kind of gift but you're to come together and you are to use them for the building up and the edification of the body of Christ when he gets down to chapter 14 when he has to deal specifically with the issue of tongues he, he specifically he basically says look Tongues are a gift given of the the Holy Spirit, but if they create disunity in the body, don't do it. Because unity in the body of Christ was more important than glossolalia. And I'm not going to dig into all of the details of those texts. There's no way we could do that today, but I want you to see this as an illustration. Paul's desire when he addressed gifts, which a lot of us see as individual blessings— was to remind us that they're not for you in the first place. Every gift was given of the Spirit for the body of Christ to accomplish kingdom work. And so it is no accident that in his teaching on spiritual gifts, the primary teaching on spiritual gifts that Paul gives there to the church at Corinth, which is in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, and chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, he plops another little chapter in there. 1 Corinthians 13. And if Anybody who's been around a Baptist church very long or been to any weddings, you know that that 1 Corinthians 13 is generally referred to as the love chapter. We take it out of context a lot of times, and we apply it to marriage or we apply it to whatever. But the bottom line is it was about unity in the body of Christ because Paul prioritized peace and unity in the body over and above. Your spiritual gifts or your ability to do your own thing. working, serving in a body of believers for the, for the furtherance of his kingdom is not going to happen unless we prioritize peace. You know what that means? It means sometimes I have to set aside my preference. You mean the pastor sometimes has to set aside his preference? Yes, often. Often especially with a young staff who don't see things the same way that an old guy does. And you know what I've learned when I'm willing to set aside my preference? Sometimes I was right in the first place, and they were wrong, but more often than not, God works through his people. And I end up being glad that I set aside my preference, and I trusted Matthew and Nathan and Victoria and and their words as we seek the Lord and pray together. We have to prioritize peace and set aside our preference for God's kingdom so that we can can function together as a body to accomplish what he's called us. Then the world will see what Christ looks like. It's no accident that the night before Jesus died that he said, the world is going to know you're my disciples when you love each other. Do you love your church enough? Do Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ enough to set aside your preference, your desire? and prioritize peace? Third mandate is dwell. Dwell in the word of God. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. What's it mean? Remember, we're not necessarily talking as much about individual here as we are talking about the corporate body. What's it mean? to prioritize God's word among the corporate body. For one, I think it means that we ask, what does God's word say about this? That we allow God's word to be what what undergirds. It's the foundation of all that we do. God's word doesn't tell us whether or not we're supposed to have air conditioning, right? But God's word, so it doesn't answer every question in modern life, but God's word can undergird every single thing about our lives. We dwell, we allow God's word to, to rule. But I think it's more than that. I think it's more than saying this is what God's word says or what does God's word say. I think it, it calls us to, to allow God's word to be interjected in every aspect of corporate church life. It's one of the things that, that I absolutely love about the, the leadership of our worship ministry now and, and and we've seen this grow over years, even before Matthew became our worship leader, but the, the, the reading of God's word, the, the place of honor given to God's word, preaching from God's word, and, and allowing God's word to, to in, be integrated into every single thing that we do as a church body, allow his word to reign and to rule. And he, he says here, uh, let let me read through that sentence again. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another. And so through God's word and God's word dwelling within the corporate body of believers, it's gonna, it's gonna involve the teaching of God's word. Whether it's the teaching of God's word from the pulpit or the teaching of God's word in our growth groups or the teaching of God's word in our women's ministry or our men's ministry or the teaching of God's word one-on-one, through our discipleship efforts. It's God's Word that has to have priority, not our feelings, and, and not politics or not the culture. It's God's Word that needs to dwell richly within the body of Christ. But it also should be an aspect of our worship. So you're, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, but also through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I know I've told this story many times to to individuals. I don't know that I've ever shared it from the pulpit, but it's it's certainly appropriate here today. A little over five years ago, in April, I went to lunch with Matthew. It's when Zach believed that God was going to be moving him, and uh, Matthew had been taking care of our video and audio equipment, and, and there was a, a sense of calling on his life to be a worship leader, but he had never fully stepped into that, and so we set up a meeting i picked him up and i sat down at lunch and i just asked him where he was in that and one of the first things he told me he was coming out of his advisor's office from changing his major to a, a worship ministry centered major instead of a performance major so god was already at work in him to do that And that's the question i had for him is god called you to to really be a pastor of worship a worship pastor? is he called you to be involved in church ministry through audio and video and technology and all of that which is Greatly needed. And, and, and so we talked about that and we settled that question. But here was the most important question. This is the one that stuck with me over the years. I asked him, I said, Well, what is your preference in worship style? You know, you have the worship wars, the hymns versus, you know, the, the Southern gospel music versus the, the old contemporary Christian gospel music, whatever. Uh, you know, the new music. I, I've had people tell me that. That, you know, I don't want to sing anything that's more than six years old. I would had a worship minister tell me that one time. All that kind of stuff. And so I just, when I asked him that question, he said, well, he said, I, I really don't care about that style except for it, it, three things are going are gonna to guide me. One, it has to be biblically sound, theologically correct, and it has to be something that the congregation can sing together as a whole because God has called us to corporate worship. Isn't that what this text says? Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you, church, through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, all different kinds, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with gratitude in your hearts. The word of God has to be dwelling among you through your worship in all of those ways. It's mostly about the word of God. It's a whole lot less about the style once we come to style we get back to preference again don't we and sometimes we have to set aside our preference for God's kingdom now if it's not theologically sound or it's not biblical that's another issue but as long as it's theologically sound and it's biblically founded and we can sing it together as a corporate body of believers Let's worship God with gratitude in our hearts for all that he's done for us. Even if it's not our favorite style. And then finally, so we recap these three. Let peace have its priority. Be thankful. Let the word of God dwell richly in us. And then fourth here is prioritize Jesus' reputation. Not my reputation not even the church's reputation but let's prioritize Jesus' reputation whatever you do in word or deed do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him let's make Jesus our hero let's exalt Jesus let's put him up on the pedestal let's make him be the first thought in our minds when we come to worship, when we come together as a body of believers. Not my preference, not my desire, but Jesus. Let's do everything that we do in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when we say everything, not just what we do, but what we say. In word and in deed. Make Jesus the priority in everything. That pretty well covers it, doesn't it? christ should be the one who's exalted i think sometimes it's real it's easier to to invite people to church or to invite people to our our bible study because we have a great bible study or invite people to a place of worship because we have great worship or invite people because you you like your preacher and i know some of you like your preacher but what we ought to be doing is we ought to be pointing to jesus Because Jesus is the one who who is worthy of all of our praise and all of our worship and all of our adoration. And so everything that we do as a church, as a body of Christ, ought to be done in the name of Jesus for his glory and for his honor. So we have a personal mandate. And the personal mandate is, is focused on the characteristics of Christ that every single one of us can display in every time and in every season of our lives it doesn't matter if you're in the hospital or if you're at a a funeral home with a loved one or you're at work you can still be kind and compassionate and loving you can be at your weak point you can be at your strong point and the and the, the patience and the love and the joy of Christ should be able to come out of us when we're walking in that relationship with Christ that's what we put on and as a church body we prioritize peace with thanksgiving Coming together to elevate and exalt the name of Jesus because He and He alone is worth it. Put on Jesus. We've taken off all of this other stuff, but how are we going to live life now? We're going to live life differently as we put on Christ. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Watauga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Watauga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise.